The Lord be with you. As we continue through this series in the Exodus, we remember that the Exodus story is our story. That as Christians, we are those who've been called out of slavery in Egypt that are journeying with God through the wilderness toward the promised land. If you go back and check out the previous sermons from the last few weeks, you'll see that we've discovered all the ways in which we are enslaved, not literally enslaved, but enslaved in our patterns and ways of being. We've learned to trust God and give up control to be able to step out into freedom. And we've come to see, as we begin to journey into the wilderness, this urge to turn back. And we've discovered, too, God's providing and care so that we can keep walking with each day's daily bread. The Exodus story offers us markers for our journey, a roadmap of sorts for our own trip to transformation. And this week, we come to the next significant marker in Israel's journey, Mount Sinai. There are a few things that stand as as ominously and importantly over Israel's history and life together as the time they spent at Sinai. It was there that they became a nation, that they became a people, that they became God's people. And as they're given this new identity, they're also given a new way of life to live into it. And so as we come to that next leg of the journey today, I want to invite you to do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that burns but is never burned up. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me, and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that your life will be long on the fertile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not desire your neighbor's house. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. It's Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, if you want to look along with us. As God descends in storm clouds, in thunder and lightning and fire and trumpet blasts upon Mount Sinai, as God enters into a covenant with God's people, Israel, God gives these ten commandments. These are the center of God's instruction, of God's teaching, of Torah itself, the law of God given to Moses to govern the way in which Israel lived. That law often gets a bad rap among Christians. But as we come to this marker in our journey to freedom today, I want to look at two things about this law. I want to look at what the law does and how to do the law. What the law does and how to do the law. Ready? First, what the law does. What the law does is give us a new identity. As the people of God come to Sinai, they don't just receive rules about how to live. This is about covenant. As the people of God come to Mount Sinai, this is the, the birth of Israel as a nation. Before this, they're just a family and a group of people. After this, they are a nation formed to be God's people in the world. If we back up, actually, to Exodus 19, starting at verse 5, God says, You will be my most prized possession out of all the peoples, since the whole earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. Israel is God's beloved people. God's promise on Mount Sinai is this. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so they enter into this covenant relationship together. It's here on Mount Sinai where Israel receives its new identity. They've been brought out of slavery, which means the only identity they had ever known was slave. The only way that they have ever thought of themselves for generations is slave. And so as God brings them out of that life, out of that identity, God now gathers them together to give them their new identity, to shower them with love. You are my most prized possession. You will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. As we too come out of slavery, God comes to us to remind us of our new identity. You're my beloved. You're my prized possession. As we come through the waters of baptism, we're adopted as God's children, as ones dearly loved. We're given this new identity. Our old clothes come off, and we are clothed now with Christ. Do you know that God loves you? I mean, if you're like me, you know that, but you don't always know that. You probably learned to sing the song, Jesus Loves Me as a Child, but maybe it's never gone any deeper than that. Do you know that God loves you? That God loves spending time with you? With you in all of your you-ness, as you are, you are beloved. 
I don't know what identities you walk around with. Israel's was slave. Maybe for you it's failure, perfectionist, underachiever, chronic helper, addict, convict, fake, imposter. I don't know what identity you've internalized in your slavery. But as God calls you out of that slavery, God doesn't just tell you not to do some things anymore. No, God gathers you with all God's people at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God speaks your new identity. You are my most prized possession. You are my beloved. God not only calls you out of something old, but now into something new. Sinai is an identity checkpoint along this road where we are retold the true story about ourselves. You are God's most prized possession. You are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in the midst of the world. And with that new identity comes these Ten Commandments. How have you thought about the Ten Commandments in the past? Is it just a series of rules you need to follow to be a good Christian? I want to challenge that a little this morning. And I want to ask you to try this on. What if these Ten Commandments are training wheels for living into this new identity as God's beloved ones? That as we're given this new identity, this calling to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in the midst of the world, that God gives us these commandments to help guide and form us to be able to live into that identity. Here's one of the ways I think about it. We're raising two toddlers right now, twins, a little over two and a half, and it's often just chaos, especially right now, being trapped in the house with them all the time. And one of the things about raising kids is that you spend most of their waking hours saying some version of no. Our kids are at that stage where they're exploring and learning, but also just have no idea about the world and somehow also no will seemingly to live. Don't touch that. Don't throw that. Stop hitting her. Don't jump off that. Don't climb on that. Don't color on that. Don't rip that. This whole task in raising kids is about trying to form human beings who can live in the world and live well. And for us also to love and to follow Jesus. Much of our effort is spent telling them what they can and can't do, is spent showing them how to live their lives, what is safe and what is not. And all of that is an expression of our love we're protecting them, we're shaping them, we're helping them learn essential skills. And though that comes out of our love, it seldom feels like it to them. It seldom feels to them like love. This is a small example, but just yesterday, Owen was coloring on an art easel with a marker that he loves and was getting too excited and starting to just bang the marker tip on the board, slowly ruining the tip. And then he started to go off the paper onto the whiteboard section, ruining the whiteboard part if we didn't clean it fast enough. So I 
get down with him and said, you know, relax, relax, you know, don't get so forceful with the marker, settle down a little bit. And he just got more exuberant and more forceful, banging the marker into the whiteboard. And so I took the marker away from him and he lost his mind. In that moment, that did not feel like love to him. It felt like a crushing blow to his will. He couldn't see that this was protecting the marker and the whiteboard he loved so that he could continue to use them for weeks and months to come. All he saw was that I was keeping him from doing what he wanted to do. As Chuck DeGroat talks about all this in his book, Leaving Egypt, which we've been using as a lens to read the book of Exodus, he says that every one of these Ten Commandments is either something that fences off enslavement or embodies holy liberty. That these commandments fence off enslavement and embody holy liberty. I like to think about the laws that way. They're like bumpers on a bowling lane, right? They keep the balls from going into the gutter, but they also aim the balls back into the lane to continue to travel down the way and hopefully knock down some pins. The law is like a bumper that keeps us from falling back into slavery, but also push us back into the ways of God to live in God's direction. And when you first go bowling, you need the bumpers because otherwise every ball will be going into a gutter. But the longer you bowl, the better you get and the less you need those bumpers and the more you're able in your own freedom to throw the ball down the lane, to live life as it's meant to be lived. The problem is that we need to reframe God's instruction, God's laws, as an invitation into new life, into the freedom of God. Because true freedom isn't about being free from all constraints. That version of freedom just turns us back into toddlers who are actually enslaved to every passing desire or fleeting emotion or impulse. No, true freedom isn't about being free from constraints, but being free for the things that matter, the things that count. Freedom is living with the grain of the universe, with the flow of all things, living the life God always intended, living within the boundaries God sets for us, God's creatures. At Sinai, we're given this new identity. God's prized possession. And within it, we're given 10 commandments, training wheels, bumpers that help point our lives in God's direction, that keep us out of slavery and moving toward real freedom. That's what the law does. It gives us this new identity as God's beloved children. It sets us apart from the world for that special and holy task. And it helps us to encourage and to guide and set up boundaries so that we can live into this good and holy life God has set before us. That's what the law does. So now, how do you do the law? How do you do the law? Here's how you do the law. Love. The law is about love. 
The law begins in God's love for us, this new identity. You're my most prized possession. And the law is lived out as we love, love God and love neighbor. The law isn't about duty. It's not about being a good Christian. The law isn't about earning our way into God's good side. The law is about love. That's how Jesus summarized it. When he was asked, what what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing we need to do? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And the second, by the way, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to say that with these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus summarizes everything God commands us to do with these two commands, love God and love neighbor. And so Christians have rightfully seen the Ten Commandments through this lens for thousands of years. And we've seen the way in which these Ten Commandments fall into those two groups, love God and love neighbor. The first four commandments are all about how we love God. The last six are all about how we love our neighbor. Loving God, loving neighbor is how you do the law. How do you love God? By having no other gods before God, by worshiping God as the one true only God, by not having other idols, other things which we bow down to and trust in instead of God alone, by the way in which we honor and use God's name as something worthwhile and substantial, by honoring and keeping the Sabbath and resting one day in seven as God made us to and as God did in creation. That's how you love God. How do you love your neighbor? By honoring your father and your mother, by not killing, by not committing adultery, by not stealing, by not testifying falsely against your neighbor, by not desiring things that belong to them, their spouse, their servants, their lawnmower, their sports car. Love God and love neighbor. These Ten Commandments shape and guide that love. They point our love in the right direction. And what I love about seeing it this way is that otherwise love can become a very vague thing. Love can just be sentimentality, a warm feeling inside. Well, of course I love God. Of course I love my neighbors. But I do wish I had their stuff because it's nicer than mine. And, you know, if it benefits me or I feel like it, I might speak ill of them. Not only do we love by keeping these commandments, the law gives shape to this love. It gives guidance for our love. Like those boundaries in a bowling alley, it points our love back in the right direction. It keeps us from falling off into the gutters of slavery. We do the law by loving. These commandments are all about how we love God and love neighbor. But don't forget also the context in which these commandments come. Because we don't just do them by loving, we do them because of love. They're given to us in the context of a God who says, you're my most prized possession. In the context of a God who reaffirms God's grace and mercy, steadfast love and long-suffering patience. They're given by a God who's faithful to this covenant even when we're not, even when we don't love God or love our neighbors as well as we know we should. God still loves us. And that love, that eternal, unchanging love, that gracious, merciful, steadfast, hesed love of God is what allows us to respond to the world in love. 
In baptism, we say we love because God first loved us. In our wedding liturgy, we say that it's God's love that is able to bring our love now to completion. We can love God and neighbor not because of our own striving, but because God loves us so much. If the source of our love came from within ourselves, then in moments like this, when fear and panic and isolation set in, we would just hunker down. We would pull up the drawbridge, isolate ourselves, and look out for number one. But our love's not rooted in self-interest, but in God's love for us, in the love of one who stepped out into the mess of the world and our lives to find us in love. What the law does is it gives us our new identity. We are God's most prized possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation in the midst of the world, set apart for God's promises. And the law, these Ten Commandments, show us how to live into that calling, to love God and love neighbor. This is the freedom we're being called into. So what does it look like for you this week to love God and love neighbor. One of the crazy things about this whole coronavirus thing and our isolation is the way that it disrupts our lives. Everything is different. Everyone is making it up as they go at this point. All of our rhythms are thrown off. And in the midst of that disruption, things start to bubble up. We begin to see ourselves and our old patterns with fresh eyes. It becomes a lot easier to see some of the things we were addicted to. Some of the things we've come to rely upon, maybe even worship, some of the unhealthy patterns or relationships in our lives. In all that disruption that's happening right now, how might we be called back to our truest identity at Sinai? To be God's beloved and to love God and love our neighbor. How can we use the next week to take some of these other gods and idols out of the center of our lives and put God back in? Or how can you reach out and love your neighbor? Maybe most importantly, what do you need to do this week to remember that you are God's beloved, God's most prized possession set apart from the world around you for a special task? How can you take time to remember that God loves you and loves spending time with you? How can you take time to enter into the scriptures this week? To meditate? To spend time in worship or in song remembering that you are loved by God? This is the next step out of slavery. As we journey through the wilderness, we are gathered to Sinai. We are gathered and given our new identity by God because it's not enough to just leave something behind, to just say no to something. We're invited to also step into something new, to become new people, God's people, as we continue to walk with God toward the promised land. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for this new identity. We thank you that you are not afraid to step out into the messiness of our lives, to come and find us in our slavery, to gather us to yourself around your holy mountain, and to speak our new identity. Beloved, prized possession, holy nation, kingdom of priests. Help us, Lord, this week to remember who we are, And that as we come to root our identity in who you have told us we are, help us also to live into your ways, to love you with our whole heart and mind and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to find in your instruction a pathway into freedom and into the lives that you have made us for. So come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.